Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, you can find it on page 849. Before I read that, please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, fall on us. Melt away any distraction that might keep us from listening for your voice. Open our ears and our hearts so that we might be receptive to your message. Fill us with your word so that we can go out and share it with the world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 14 verses 16 through 24. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel the people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Some of you may know that our family just bought a new home. It's just a stone's throw away in Benton Hills, and it checked off so many boxes on our list. The main one for me being that it is a space for entertaining. The house is set up so that we can host a large group of guests. And so when we got out of our boxes a few weeks into October, We made sure to test that out. We decided to host our supper club and some of their families for a Saturday afternoon barbecue. I sent out the electronic invitation about three weeks in advance with a very clear deadline of one week out, assuming that two weeks was generous generous plenty amount of time for folks to check their calendars and respond. You see, I am a planner. 
I like to make sure that everything is prepared and accounted for. Do we have any food allergies that we need to accommodate, or are there certain dietary restrictions? How many children are going to be present because I want to make sure that we have enough juice boxes? So when the week of the barbecue arrived, and only six of the 20 invited guests had RSVP'd, I started to get stressed out. And so I politely sent emails and texts. I just wanted to make sure you got that invitation. Um, I don't mean to be a nag. I just want to make sure we have plenty of food. I really would love for you to come and see our new home. Slowly, the responses began to trickle in, and when the day arrived, there was enough. We didn't run out of food. We were able to plan for those who had responded. I'm clearly too type A for this new trend I've begun to see. We've received a few wedding invitations recently with a more modern response option of regrets only. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is an RSVP option now. Regrets only. How do you plan for regrets only? Isn't there going to be too much food left over? Wouldn't that be wasteful? And how do you know that they actually received the invitation? What if they didn't get it in the mail? If they don't RSVP, if it's regrets only, how will you ever know if they knew about the party? And heaven forbid that I send out these invitations, regrets only, and I plan for all these folks who did not send their regrets, and then they don't show up. How embarrassing would that be? But as I read our gospel lesson this morning, I can't help but feel that this parable is a bit of a regrets-only invitation. In chapter 14 of Luke, Jesus is engaging in a series of teaching moments around sharing our tables. First, he starts with a lesson for our host. And then he goes on for a lesson to the guests, reminding them that the first shall be last. Finally, he takes up the idea that we most often hear him talk about, the kingdom of God, which can also be imagined like a banquet. The dinner has been prepared, and our host has sent his servant out to gather those who have been invited. But instead of returning to the party with the servant, they begin to send their regrets. All of them, in similar fashion, seem to make up excuses. And at first glance, their excuses could seem legitimate. After all, I know the stress of purchasing a new home and being in the midst of big life transitions. It's hard to do it all. F. Scott Spencer, who is a seminary professor, points out that these excuses may actually be because they're permissible excuses in the Jewish culture. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, when the priests were preparing Israel's people for battle, they relieve three groups of men from conscription. 
Those who have built a house but not dedicated it, those who have planted a vineyard but not yet tasted the fruit, and those who are engaged but not yet married. So instead of marching into battle, these men are free to return home and care for their duties. So perhaps tending to new land you've purchased, testing out new oxen that you've bought, and being recently married are attempts for these guests to ask for a graceful dismissal from their invitation. But I feel a bit of a need to push back on these excuses. Who buys land without looking at it first? And what wealthy person, because mind you, they've been invited to a wealthy banquet, what wealthy person purchases a pair of oxen and then needs to go test drive them? Be certain this person has a plowboy who will be running those oxen. And to have just gotten married, we would look and say, how sweet, young love, they can't be separate from one another. But in this culture of Bible times, women were viewed as possessions. And so yet again, we hear an excuse to tend to one's belongings instead of accepting the invitation. It seems to me that these folks are preoccupied with building their own kingdom. But this host will not be snubbed. There is a banquet to be set, and so the servant brings the regrets. The host sends him back out to invite more to this banquet. As Jesus tells the story, it's like he's drawing us a social map with concentric circles. In the center of the city where the power resides, where the elite live, this is where the invitation is first extended. When they decline, the invitation begins to ripple out to the disadvantaged inner city, the streets and the lanes, extending a seat at the table to those who would not normally be invited to attend such a party. You see, the custom was that your guest should be of the same status as you so that they could then return the favor. The host has now invited people who could not invite him to a banquet of their own. With more room still at this banquet, Jesus points to the edge of the map. But I think we might miss an important map marker here through the way that most of our Bibles translate the directions. When the servant tells the host that there is still more room in verse 23, they are instructed to go out into the roads and lanes which when I hear that sounds just like a repeat of verse 21, as if the host is saying, just go back out and find more people. But Jesus, you'll remember, is enlarging our map. The Greek word that the NRSV translates as lane is the word pharagamos, 
which can actually mean fence line or hedge path. Cities were typically gated, and those who were homeless, diseased, or outcast resided beyond the fence line, outside the city gates. The host is telling the servant to go beyond the fence line and bring into the banquet those who have no place. Unlike the second invitation in verse 21, where the servant is told to bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, this final invitation beyond the city gates calls for a stronger command. The servant is told to compel the people to come in so that the house may be filled. I wonder if it's because the host knows these folks who reside on the margins, who live beyond the gates, would be a bit leery. They've been told over and over again, you are not worthy, you do not belong, you should reside over there. They are not welcome. And perhaps they've begun to believe that narrative. Is this a trick or a setup? Where are you really going to take us? So the servant has to compel them to let them know there is space for them at this banquet. They are indeed welcome. What a parable. And as I think we often do when I listen to Jesus tell this parable, drawing a social map of God's kingdom, I can't help but ask, well, where am I in the story? Thomas and I have a friend who calls the season of life we're in the lost decade. With young children, new houses, and growing careers, it's easy for time to feel like a haze, and eventually, he says, we'll look back and think, where did it go? It's easy for me to get caught looking inward, focused on all that I have to do, building my own kingdom, managing to work in where I can those faith moments, to feel like there will be time later when I can really respond. And don't get me wrong, I think it's healthy for us to set up boundaries and to value family as a priority, but I wonder if sometimes I'm really using those things as an excuse and I'm missing out on the invitation that's been set before me. Send my regrets. I just bought a new house and things are crazy with the boys. I promise I'll be there next time. Perhaps I'm a little more like that first group of guests than I want to admit. May we not get so caught up in building our own kingdom that we decline God's invitation. But perhaps that's not you at all. Maybe you resonate a little bit more with those who know what it feels like to be unworthy. Perhaps you struggle with mental health issues. 
and feel like it's a cycle that will never end. Or you don't have enough fingers on your hands to count the times that you've blown up at family members and chewed out your coworkers. How can there be space for you? You just celebrated retirement. And as you've begun to look back over your career, you wonder, what do I have to show for it? Could I have done more to make a difference in our world? To you, the compelling invitation comes. You are worthy. The seat at the table is for you. It always strikes me that there were only three regrets listed to this banquet, and yet more and more and more invitations are needed to fill the house. I think that is the truth we must remember about God's kingdom. There is always room. A banquet with no guests isn't a banquet. There is more than enough. We are all planned for, and this host does not run out. So confident of this truth, may we become faithful servants, not only willing to attend, but eager to go out and compel others to join us at the banquet table. May we push through the barriers that have made others believe they aren't welcome and share with them the invitation to join in God's gracious feast. Because at God's table, whether you see yourself as a saint or a sinner, all are welcome. Thanks be to God. Amen.